Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast sharing our top stories and conversations. On today's episode, we'll be looking at eating disorder concerns, the gender pay gaps record low, women in Ukraine and much more. Thanks for listening. This is episode four of The Crux, recorded on the 1st of March, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley, and I'm joined by my co-founder, Tala Lambert. Hello, Tala. Hey, Ange. You got back home after a very late flight last <laughs> night, after coming to Sydney for our event and a four-hour delay. Which I did. I did. I lived to tell the tale. You do. You do. Uh, so plenty to get through today. But first, let's start with the wins. Obviously, not involving a certain flight that you took last night. <laughs> but what is your win? Definitely not involving Jetstar, who are officially the bane of my life. Um, <laughs> but that is a story for another day. Um, my win this week, Ange, it really does have to go to Mardi Gras and the progress that we saw over the weekend with Anthony Albanese being the first Prime Minister ever to parade. And he did so with Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek and New South Wales Opposition Leader Chris Minns. And I just thought his, I mean, it's a bit of a no-brainer to be fair, but it seems so strange to me that he is the first Prime Minister to do this because I think, you know, society has come such a long way. We we have expected this of our leaders for such a long time and there has just been this huge tug of war and politicising of this event and division being employed around the LGBTQI community for such a long time that we have grown used to the fact that politicians are just notoriously disappointing in this space. But Albanese, who has, I should note, also been walking in the march for a very long time since he was a uni student said it was unfortunate that he was the first because this is a celebration of modern Australia he said we're a diverse inclusive Australia and that's a good thing people want to see that their government is inclusive and represents everyone no matter who they love no matter what their identity no matter where they live we need to be a country that respects everyone for who they are and I think that's a really important, powerful message to send, albeit it seems bizarre that, you know, we need to be still sending that message. But, yeah, Mm. props to Albo. I loved seeing it, loved that he dressed as a daggy dad. And, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no, it was really lovely to see. Yeah, I mean, I just think, where was Malcolm Turnbull? I feel like he was always on the sidelines. He would be there but not actually in the parade. But, like, where was... Kevin Rudd where was Hmm. Julia Gillard like we know where Tony Abbott and Scott Morrison were (laughs) whatever but like why has it taken this long so yeah agree props to Anthony Albanese for yeah okay so my win very different so my win is in line with the anniversary of Russia launching its attack on Ukraine obviously not a win and a little strange in this context here but something I want to highlight so most people expected the war to be over quickly within weeks and certainly not to continue on as long as it has done into a second year and sadly with not much end in immediate sight. One of the reasons it has gone on so long is because of the will of the Ukrainian people, ordinary people like you and I who had 
ordinary jobs like in media or in tech or teaching, uh, probably doing podcasts, various other things, and they joined the war effort in some shape or form. Mm. Um, And I saw a stat in the last week that 22% of Ukraine's armed forces are women, so going directly to the front, which is absolutely, I mean, it's just incredible to think. Other things, little bits where Ukraine, you know, sent a diplomatic battalion of women to major capitals around the world to discuss sanctions against Russia. So this really incredible effort from women, not only obviously in the armed forces, I talked about the diplomatic effort there, but also across every other aspect of trying to, Mm. you know, keep that country running as well. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, so we should go to our top stories. Do you want to introduce the first one? Yeah, look, let's go to story number one for this week. And we are looking at, it's a pretty alarming statistic, really. So the number of people, particularly young girls with eating disorders, has exploded over the past three years. And this came about out of ABC's Four Corners this week, which highlighted how hospitals have recorded an 80 to 104% increase in children with anorexia since prior to COVID. Independent MP Zoe Daniel is taking a really focused stand on this issue and she's highlighting how families are being torn apart. She notes that the Australian medical system is grossly under-equipped, which we obviously know, but in this regard it's just completely ill-equipped to deal with the crisis at hand. And what do you make of this? Yes, so I'm really pleased to see Zoe Daniel speaking about this and really trying to, you know, take some of what was shared in that Four Corners program and obviously highlight. I mean, we had her quoted from, and I believe it was a stat from the Four Corners program, that there's just four dozen dedicated eating disorder beds across the country. Mm. And that just seems incredible. And you'd think like in any suburb of Australia, well, we can we know this from the stats, but in any suburb of Australia, there will be people suffering mm. from some form of disordered eating, including uh, potentially young children suffering from anorexia and we don't have the uh, system to be able to deal with it. And it's obviously a very complex, very difficult issue and it's very difficult to understand and grasp issue and you can't imagine what it's like for those families. Mm. But I think, I don't know, as well as considering our response to it, we really need to think about what's contributing to it mm. as well. Like where is it coming from? Why is this increase? And it's global. I know Madeline published research yesterday highlighting that it was, I think, one in five children are experienced disordered eating behaviours, which is higher than in girls than boys. 30% of girls globally show signs of disordered eating. The Butterfly Foundation estimates that more than 1 million Australians have an eating disorder and less than a quarter are getting any kind of treatment or support. So, Yes, medical system needs to address this, but what, mm. like, what is like, why the uptick during the pandemic? Is it linked to anxiety? Mm. What is the link to social media? Yeah, I was just about to say that. You know, obviously, this is just my hypothesis, but I would imagine that it's a pretty educated one. In that, you know, if kids are spending excess time on social media or or even time at all on social media, especially certain platforms. We know how damaging it can be and we know that there is that, you know, there's been past research. We know that Facebook, for instance, was sitting on research. It did its own research. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, they were contributing. They know. Never shared, never did anything about it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So they know unequivocally that that is what's happening. My real anxiety around this is, you know, the girls are getting younger as well. Mm. You know, it's 
I think that's really something that needs to be examined. I know even with family members and watching like my niece, how she internalizes, you know, things around, like she's only 12, but she thinks about, you know, her weight. And I can see that it is in her brain in a far bigger way than I think it would have been in my brain when I was 12, I mean. And I do wonder where that kind of influence is coming. You know, Mm. she's not disordered in her eating, but I do see that it features like her brothers call her fat or like, not that they should obviously do that, but like, I think that there are things that are leading to girls younger and younger becoming more and more anxious in this space. Yeah, well, I mean, I I just think with all of this, if you're seeing a rise, I mean, obviously there's COVID and that factors in, but so much, and there is research to back this, and maybe it's less so in Australia than it is, say, in the United States in terms of the research available, but so much of like the rising prevalence of poor mental health, of um, eating disorders, you see it kind of happening with this rise in social media use. And it's just like, okay, if these things are happening at the same time or rise in uh, smartphones or rise in screen time that kids are accessing, I saw looking up a couple of pieces around this, I saw research showing that teenagers spend more than seven hours a day viewing video and social media. Mm. We both spend quite a bit of time ourselves. Like we're Mm. not saying that I I think there is reason for social media. There are good things out there. There is reason for good video content as well. I'm not against screen time or anything, but um, we've also seen phone ownership has risen extensively. I saw a stat that it was 41% for those aged 12, so same as your niece, in Mm. 2015, but that's now at two-thirds of children. Sorry, it's two-thirds of children in 2019. I reckon we can assume it's gone up again over the pandemic and um, a lot of, I know we were certainly as parents for our young kids turning to screens as well to get through lockdowns. But um, I just, you know, I, I go back to the 2021 research that Frances Haugen also shared and what she shared before Congress, you know, that Facebook knows that they are leading young users to anorexia content and it was just yeah. horrifying and disgusting to think they had their research out there. They hadn't done anything about it. And here we are now in 2023 and just not enough is being done or talked about on this issue. And we've got Taryn Brumford as Australian of the Year, and I know she's highlighting the body positivity movement. Um, I know she's doing a lot in schools as well. Obviously, we just need to do more. It's just a huge area and I think there is a tendency of – certain people and we know we published you know a piece around Mike Carlton's response to Taryn Brumford winning Australian of the Year for instance but I don't think that you know even though we criticized Mike I I don't think he's sitting in a vacuum either like I think you know that's a an attitude that's quite prevalent in Australia where we don't think that it is to the magnitude that it is we tend to trivialize what eating disorders are and and how significantly they contribute to you know our healthcare system being overburdened but you know the well-being of our kids really like it's such a horrible taxing situation and clearly so much more needs to be done about it it is a crisis as Zoe Daniels has rightly said so i hope that you know the government really does heed this kind of warning and and want to do more now. Yeah. Okay, so we might move to our second story and it is and we uh we had a little debate before the episode about is this interesting because nobody reads stories about the gender pay gap. I mean, <laughs> I hate to 
tell you all out there, but we see the stats and the figures and nobody seems to read stories about it. But anyway, so it is important. But uh, the gender pay gap made history over the past week. It achieved its lowest point since being recorded at 13.3%, comparing the average average full-time working wages of men to those of full-time working wages of women and based on stats from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. So, I mean, this hasn't featured in the wins section of the episode today and <laughs> I think we might just say my quick little why, well, because cost of living is escalating, we're seeing rising concerns about hunger and poverty, especially for older women and single women, and that 13.3% makes a significant difference and continues to make a significant difference. And also quickly to note here that it's only comparing one kind of work, full-time work. It doesn't factor in bonuses and total remuneration where the gap is believed to be more around 20% according to data from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. And importantly, that 13.3% doesn't include part-time and casual work. Mm. Was it a win for you, Tyler? <laughs> Which women the way, to do? are yeah. incredibly <laughs> feminized spaces. So uh, yeah. yes, it's not a win for me, Ange. It's not a win for me. And it didn't go up. I mean, at least it didn't go. It does go. And that's the thing. It hovers around. It bounces up and down. Well, what is it? Yeah, exactly. It never does anything dramatic. In the years that we have been covering the gender pay gap and talking about it, it is always pretty close to this, right? Like it's like give or take a, a one yeah. or two. Yeah, so no, it has been higher. It was higher. Um, there was It did go to a high under the previous Labor government and it actually dropped again, I think, under the Abbott government. I'd have to go back and check the figures and we'll put this uh, in a story with the piece. But so it does hover and I think one of the reasons behind the quick growth of it in the past was because of the mining boom and more men being in those sorts of jobs it was related to that so it bounces around the point is that it goes down Mm. um because i remember at one point it was at 14 percent. it does go down but then it can go back up again yeah but i mean i think we do need to really focus on the cost of living pressures which you noted before like they are astronomical at the moment and we ran a panel yesterday at hall and wilcox and ronnie khan who uh, is the founder of Oz Harvest was on the panel um, that you moderated. And she was talking about the stats around food insecurity and hunger in this country. And it is so devastating. Like the figures around that and how quickly they're soaring because of inflation and because of these rising pressures, it can't be underplayed. And so we can get trapped in looking at a figure like this and going, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Actually, I don't know if anyone is looking at that and saying it's awesome. But, you know, thinking it's a win or thinking it's progress, but it, it is just so not progress at the point in time that we're in. Like we need to be looking at some really serious reforms to try to fix what is going on because the consequences of not doing so are really devastating. Yeah, exactly. We need to also consider how the consequences of the past action, like where we failed on this, are catching up now. If people don't have 
any savings now because they perhaps uh, were being failed due to these gaps in the past. Mm. That's an issue. Obviously, if it's not, you know, if we look at the superannuation gap as well, one of the reasons behind Mm. that is the gender pay gap too. So I think it deserves a bit more of a conversation. It's worth people taking a a greater interest in it. Mm. Um, And maybe not just being thrown, like, you know, not being thrown a bone by like, by seeing a figure like that and thinking that things are happening because there just are so many other factors at play here. And, you know, you you mentioned before the homelessness rate for women as well and especially over women over 55 and they are women that have contended with a, a gender pay gap that would have been significantly higher throughout most of their working lives. And what are the repercussions for that? What are they dealing with now because of suffering through that and still suffering through that? And we need to not repeat those mistakes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If I can just end on one final point just to correct something that I said earlier. So I've just pulled up the overtime stats and it goes back to 2014. So it was at its high in January 2015, the national gender pay gap was 18.7%. So that was actually under the Abbott government, not under the previous Labor government. Um, But it also dropped to, what have we got here? It was at 13.4%. So pretty much almost where it is now, 13.4% in January 2021. And that was under the Morrison government. So I don't know what that tells you, but hopefully something. A winner for women. (laughs) <laughs> let's get him slightly cra- where's scomo where is I'm pretty scomo sure that was what they were claiming as the one thing that they had uh achieved like they were like they loved that this time last year that gender pay gap was getting uh, a lot of uh talk but um yeah so there's there's macro factors that contribute to this bouncing around in the way that it does but uh yeah and the total remuneration gap in january 2023 was reported at 20 2.8%. So that is when you factor in bonuses and other pieces of remuneration. And that's uh, as calculated by the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. There you go. And on that note, we don't have an interview this week, but we will possibly end on uh, final thoughts for the week going to the next week. What are you thinking about, Tyler? And I am on my radar for next week. Well, it's kind of to do with the end of this week, but we will be covering it quite a lot next week. But we are launching our very first climate report and we are looking at the impacts of climate change on women and girls in Australia. Very much a domestic focus. We have partnered with Care Australia, um, who have been an amazing support on this, and they, they have provided us with case studies from the Pacific to also examine, but we really wanted to zero in on what the flow-on effects of climate change were doing here. You know, how um, has that contributed to, you know, social inequalities that were already persistent? Um, how has it contributed to the care economy going backward and, and you know, women's workforce participation? We've looked at things around, you know, the uptick in domestic and family violence, in in health issues. So it's a really comprehensive report. We're really proud of it. Um, we will be launching it at the Press Club on Friday in the week ahead of IWD. We really feel, and I, and I know you feel this so strongly, climate change is your absolute passion pursuit in life. And I know, you know, how hard you've worked on this. 
but I think, you know, we feel really strongly collectively that not enough focus goes into this space. And when it comes to International Women's Day, we are constantly focusing on, you know, weird little slogans that mean nothing in the corporate space. And and I think it's time that we focused on real issues. And that is what we've done with this report. And we'll have Larissa Waters speaking on a panel alongside Sophia Hamblin-Wang and also uh, Serena Killam, which we're really excited about. And we'll be filming that panel. So we'll be able to share that with all of our readers next week. And we'll also be covering, you know, the findings of that report really comprehensively. We will. And I'm going to share the name of the report. So it is called The Climate Load. And the reason why we called it The Climate Load is because uh, from our own research that we did uh, surveying women on this issue, but also what we found from other reports and where we tried to piece together all these disparate bits of information that are really out there. There is a lot out there, but it tends to be focused on certain areas. And we wanted to try and pull it together. But we call it the climate load because we just found that it's just an added load for women. We've got the mental load. You've got then your paid workload, your unpaid workload, various other load. And this is another load, yeah. the climate load. And, I mean, we talked a lot about innovation on climate solutions yesterday. So there is that load of seeing how people are, are carrying it and using it to drive forth transformation and things. But it's really important to see what impact this is having on, I might say, women's health and earnings and mental health and other factors that we uh, need to do more about. It's going to make that gender pay gap worse. So, yeah. Um, so I am thinking about that because I've got to do a bit of work on that after this podcast as well. But um, I wanted to finish off with I mean, my thought is around, um, and it goes back to my win, it's around anniversaries. It's been one year since the Lismore floods. It's been one year since the... Russia launched its uh, attack on Ukraine and as always you think like how the media attention and everything returns to these places and these issues for the anniversary Mm. and then it just moves on again and sort of for that moment you're kind of reminded you're like oh you know these Mm. people are still contending with this they're still rebuilding they're still dealing with the devastating war as as we spoke about the women in, in Ukraine and they're still living with this while everything else keeps turning and all our attention will obviously go to the next anniversary in a few weeks time or whatever else comes next in the next few months and I don't know I just had that in my head it's like just to always remember that when these things happen it's not like it just fixes itself because we turn to the next thing it's still going on and these people are still being impacted and uh, women particularly are still being affected in different ways Mm -hmm. and still putting in all that work and effort and resilience. A hundred percent. And I think in terms of climate change in this country, it's only going to get worse, you know. So even if we are looking at the anniversary of the Lismore floods, living up on the Northern Rivers, I can tell you that those floods are going to happen again. They're going to happen again and again and again and they're going to happen in quicker succession and they're going to become worse (laughs) even if that seems implausible at this point like Mm -hmm. we need to do more and again speaking to some of the people that we spoke to for this report it is evident that we just don't have the systems in place the structures in place to properly act when these things happen Mm -hmm. and people are still being left very much to deal with it single-handedly 
or with community support, but very rarely and very inadequately with support from the government. Um, And I think there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that needs to be done there. Um, And, yes, Mm -hmm. my thoughts are very much with Lismore, but the rest of the Northern Rivers as well that was really badly impacted by that event last year. Mm. All right, well, that is it for the Women's Agenda podcast. We will share links to the stories and issues we discussed and other resources in the show notes. Thank you for listening and a reminder that you can subscribe to our lunchtime daily newsletter where you can learn about all these sorts of stories as they are happening. Thank you. Thank you.